It's coming. And it tastes so sweet. You'll hop when you eat. Come Hold on to your tummy. We got something good. With my hauntingly delicious cereal. It's so good, I crinkle every time I eat it. Hello, and welcome to Cereal Killer, the podcast where we pair cereal, like breakfast cereal, with true crime. I am one of your hosts, Anastasia Washington, and with me, as always, is my amazing co-host... Maria Spertolozzi. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. Um, today we are continuing our documentary binge-watching. Oh. Like, yeah, we've just been... What else can we do, right? You guys? Yeah. <laughs> Watching true crime documentaries forever. Just watch them all. Um, so a new one just came out about a uh, big bad, a big, big bad <laughs> um, on Netflix this week, uh, or actually, by the time you're hearing this, about two weeks ago, <laughs> um, uh, a new Richard Ramirez uh, documentary on Netflix came out called Night Stalker, the Hunter, oh. serial killer, and um, it is an amazing docu-series that really... Um, Actually, uh, for true crime aficionados like us, I learned a lot of stuff that I didn't know about somebody that killed, like, right in my backyard. Yeah. Like, literally, like, a couple miles away from my house right now, There's there were murders from Richard Ramirez. So, it, I was quite young uh, when he uh, began his murder spree. Um, so, uh, but, uh, I do remember some of the, like, you know, like the trials and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. So, yeah. The trial happened like a few years after he was caught. Yeah. Um, but anyway, what did I pair him with, right? What yes. can you pair, <laughs> um, Ramirez go? <laughs> well, uh, today I will be trying multi-grain Cheerios. Because he had multiple M.O.s. <laughs> that's, my, that's my reasoning. Not wrong. Not really <laughs> wrong. So that's what I picked it for. Not because it's what I had in the house. <laughs> I got it for my niece and nephew. It's not why. It was much planning that went into this, you guys. Much, much planning. Okay, maybe there wasn't. But anyway, here we are. I'm going to try it. Try it. Oh, no. One of the little brown pieces left. That did not sound good. Oh, yeah. Oh, now it has cat hair. Shh. <laughs> Don't look at me. Anyway. All right. I'm going to try it. Try <laughs> Crying cheap. Slightly, Slightly sweetened. sweetened. It is. It is. You know, it is kind of cardboardy, so I will say knife on the table. You know? Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you sense. would probably love it. Because <laughs> <laughs> you, you tend to like those kind of things. Uh, let's see. I do. Okay. Now I put milk in it. There's like three different colors of Cheerios in it. 
There's like a well, yeah, because like, you gotta have the multi grain, right? So there's like a tan, right. and then there's like a like a yellowish one, and then like a brown one. I don't know which each one is, but I could probably look that up. Yeah, it's a knife on the table. Listen, it's not bad. It's just like what it you know. What <laughs> it is, it's, it just is. It's like a thing that you eat, but you're not like, you know what I want today. You know, you're like, I'll have it. You know. <laughs> Uh, fine you know like that um yeah 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 yeah. like if you were in a hotel and it was free you'd be like sure yeah yeah it's not super sweet which i guess is good um but also isn't because like (laughs) (laughs) you know i'm fighting feelings about it (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, so knife on the table, I would say all around for that one, um, for that very planned cereal pairing um, that was not spur of the moment at all and was completely and totally planned. Because I think about these things. Well, well ahead of time. Well, well ahead of time. I would never just. No. No. Why would you? No, I wouldn't. Because I love you guys and I would never. Table. We would never phone anything in. No. Um, maybe a little bit today. Um <laughs> we're in a pandemic. You know, we have good days, we have bad days. Uh, Sometimes your groceries don't get delivered on time. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Okay, so let's talk Richard Ramirez. Let's talk about this documentary. Let's talk about the new things that we learned from this documentary. Again, the documentary we're talking about is on Netflix. It's a docu-series. I think it is about a four-episode docu-series. Four episodes, about 45 minutes an episode. It's another one you can binge all at once or do in a couple sittings. Honestly, I might recommend doing it in a couple sittings because it is a lot all at once. (laughs) It is. It's It's an intense... It's an intense one. Um, it is called Night Stalker, The Hunt for a Serial Killer on Netflix. Um, and uh, let's get into this dude, shall we? Um, I, I'll start by saying that Richard Ramirez was born in February, uh, February 29th in 1960. Um, Baby. Hmm? Baby, leap day. Yes, yep, yep, yep. Um, and he was born in El Paso, Texas. Um, so uh, basically, his family there. There's a lot of different (laughs) There's a lot of things that they say about uh his family that he was like. There's rumors that he was raised as a Satanist. Um, I'm not sure that that is exactly true, but what is true is that um, Richard Ramirez had an older cousin, and at the age of 12, he was strongly influenced by his cousin, Miguel Ramirez, um, who was a U.S. Army Green Beret in the um, veteran uh, uh, Vietnam War, 
And one of his favorite things to do was to boast about, um, like, the things that he did in Vietnam War, including sharing Polaroid pictures of his victims, um, and uh, those included Vietnamese women who he had raped. Um, And some of the pictures that um, he showed this 12-year-old Richard Ramirez. uh, 12-year-olds, this stuff. Right. Well, also, don't do any of this stuff. Don't do any of this stuff. Also, Vietnam was bad, and we shouldn't have fought that war anyway. That is very true. Uh, But but in other other, uh, photos that he showed Richard Ramirez, um, at 12 years old, uh, he posed with a severed head of a woman he had abused and uh, ultimately killed. Um, The worst thing I saw at 12 years old was Kill Bill. And that would, like, mess me up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this So this might mess you up, you know? <laughs> um, so he he also, like, really bonded with it, this cousin. And this cousin taught him uh, some of his military skills, such as, like, stealth and um, escapes and stuff like that. Um, Probably rope knots and knot tying. Not rope knots. That's... Not a thing. Yeah, well, like stuff like that. Yeah, they definitely, um, definitely um, showed uh, him stuff like that and smoked pot with him and kind of like just talked about the gory war days. And um, Richard was kind of looking for an outlet or somebody to care about him because his father had a very violent temperature and he, a uh, temperature, <laughs> a violent temperature. He had a very, <laughs> very violent temper. Um, and uh, oftentimes, um, Richard would just sleep in the local cemetery just to get away from his father. So not a great childhood. Um, and then on May 4th, 1973, so when he was 13 years old, Richard Ramirez was 13 years old, his favorite cousin, Michael, shot his wife, Jesse, in the face right in front of him during a domestic argument. Um, they say that uh, he became really, uh, Ramirez, uh, Richard became really sullen and withdrawn from his family and uh, after that, and even his friends. Um, and so, yeah, so, you know, he started kind of acting weird. Um, he started, uh, he moved in with his older sister, Ruth, and her husband, and then kind of was being a peeping Tom and it kind of got weird. Um, kind of got weird. That starts weird. <laughs> that starts weird. Yes. No, so that's the start. Is a kink and all, but everyone should be consenting. Yes. So then he starts taking LSD, which is always a, an amazing thing to do when you're not. Yeah. I mean, it worked out really well for Charlie Manson. We all saw. <laughs> right. So how right, the daily right. LSD use does. Right. So he starts taking LSD and this is the time that he picks up like the Satanism aspect, even though we've heard stories about like him when he was younger being into Satanism. I don't think we can prove any of that. So yeah, we can't corroborate any of that. So it's all speculation at this it's point. It's all speculation. Um, but, but there has been, you know, statements like, oh, he saw like he was involved in Santeria and stuff like that when he was a kid. But this is when he when he starts taking LSD. This is when he really gets into Satanism. Um, 
And I feel like the demons inside him would respond to to LSD in that manner instead of being like, I don't know, man, what if we were all nice to people? Yep. Yep. That that it does seem that way um, around the same time that he's getting into Satanism and um, is doing LSD. uh, His cousin Mike is uh, is released uh, from jail and found not guilty by reason of ex- insanity. Um, and, uh, yeah. You should be released from jail. No. I mean, he was released in j- from jail um, after four years of incarceration in a state mental hospital. So, um, it's still and they continued... Yeah, I agree. He but continued I to have a relationship with Richard. Um, so that's Okay, but horrible. the way you said that sounded creepy. What? Like he had a relationship with Richard. He did. I don't know if it, I don't know if it, as no, far no, as we no. know he didn't. But no, no, he just had you know like it was his like men his his crime mentor. I mean that's also creepy. The way <laughs> yeah, there's no way to not make it creepy. Listen, they were in contact. He, you know, was a big oh. influence on him. Yeah. Yes. There we go. There we go. There we go. Um. So. Uh, he, um, during his teenagehood, continues to, like, have these violent sexual fantasies and, um, uh, of rape and bondage, um, probably because he saw those pictures. Anyway. Young and impressionable and associating sex with violence is not good. <laughs> exactly. Um, he took a job at the Holiday Inn, uh, when, and he used his passkey to rob sleeping patrons. Well, that makes sense. His employment ended abruptly after a hotel guest returned to his room, finding Ramirez attempting to rape his wife. The husband beat Ramirez up, and but criminal charges were dropped when the couple who lived out of state declined to return to testify against him. So this is, he's still a teen in this. Um, He dropped out of school in ninth grade and he moved uh, to California and settled in California permanently at the age of 22. Um, Aren't there truancy laws that, well, never mind. This is what the second at this point. Yeah, this is not like the time that they would. No one would have been about ninth grader dropping out. No, I mean, they may have tried to stop it, but then they weren't going to, you know what I mean? No one's getting uh, involved, yeah. Yeah, not not like this. Um, but, uh, so, we believe his first uh, murder happened in on April 10th, 1984. He murdered a nine-year-old Chinese-American uh, named Mi Ling uh, in the basement of a hotel um, in San Francisco. He raped and beat the girl before stabbing her to death and hanged her body from a pipe. Um, this is the first known killing. Um, but again, yeah, we, it, you know, um, but this was a DNA match. Um, that was later. Like she wasn't even like, that yeah. wasn't even yeah. part of the trial because they didn't identify her as a victim until 2009. Yeah. Yeah. This is a case where I feel like if, if California cops went th- really went through their cold cases, they would find some evidence that he committed some of them. 
Here's an interesting thing about that, though. There was a second su- uh, second suspect uh, with the DNA sample retrieved from the murder. And um, they have not publicly identified the suspect, but described the, per- the suspect to be a juvenile at the time and did not bring charges due to lack of evidence. So there was a second person there, somebody that was a minor that they will not disclose, so that's weird, interesting, weird, 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 weird. Um, so uh, before he really goes on this crime spree, he um, he starts kidnap. This is the thing that in the documentary I was really not aware of, um, but that he started kidnapping children from their homes or from the street, and he would keep them, yeah. molest them, then release them. Yeah, drop them off and again, yeah. parks, libraries, yeah. auto parts stores. Yeah. One of the girls, she was about six or seven when it happened to her. He kept her for a few days and played Madonna songs while he sexually assaulted her over and over and over again and then dropped her off days later um, at, I think, a liquor or gas station and yeah. told her to go inside and tell them tell them to call 911 and they would right. get her mom yeah yeah and she's actually in the documentary talking mm-hmm. and uh she's i mean just her whole just hearing her you know that's all i gotta say she's a strong ass woman oh yeah well no and she she was a strong ass child because they oh yeah they in the documentary talk about how once they had him in custody, they were deciding if they wanted, if they could even bring up the the charges for all these um, kidnapped and molested children. And they brought her in to do the lineup and she like pinpointed him exactly. Yeah. As the dude who, who took her and then the cops were like, yeah, we, we can't put children put other children through this like this one of them exactly one of the most heartbreaking things was when they when they asked her which one it was <laughs> she said do i write the number two or do or, i write two out like that's how innocent she was you know yeah she was yeah so um but, but she that was one of his first official uh took credit for kidnappings yeah but there was quite a few of them and um it was like no 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 no. go oh um it was also interesting to see that it like it wasn't like oh they were all five-year-old girls or they were all like in low-income areas like there was just like no real connection to any of them it was one of the like one of the main detectives on it was like this was like the first guy that like serial killer we found where it was like I don't know these are all different ways and methods MOs and what the fuck is happening yeah yeah I think that was one of the things about um, him that was so uh, hard to to like find him for for a bit Um, Because of that kind of stuff. Um, But ultimately, the reason why we don't really know a lot about these kidnappings and why we're kind of almost not first hearing it now. I'm sure there's lots of people that have heard it. But um, while it's newer to us is because they were trying to protect these kids and they didn't um, 
prosecute him for these crimes because they were trying to protect these kids, which is uh, amazing. It's amazing. Because they already uh, had him, like, 30 yeah. murders or something. They were like, he's already up for death row. Well, why bother putting the kids through this? Like, it's not yeah. going to bring him any more justice. Yeah, and so his MO became uh, kind of like, well... It kind of depends on the, the situation, but mainly um, he would uh, enter somebody's house or apartment. He would, if there was a man there, he would attack uh, and kill the man. Then he would um, rape the woman. If there was kids present, he would rape the kids. Um, and uh, usually he would try to kill the woman. Yeah. Um, so, but a lot, I mean, there was quite a few survivors that started um and also the kidnapping cases too there was a lot of there was mm-hmm. all those survivors that had like a um a visual yeah yeah um, had information that they could provide yeah so he um, killed he was killing all around um California um in the Los Angeles area like Rosemead uh, we have Monterey Park we have Whittier we have uh Monrovia yeah. Burbank Arcadia Sierra Madre uh, Glendale these are yeah. all like going up in like Bridge too, huh? And Wasn't where? There one in Northridge. Northridge, yep. Diamond Bar, and oh. then also San Francisco. Um, so he's killing people, and then we have to talk about San Francisco now. Um, That's San Francisco cost. San Francisco. So in San Francisco, uh, on August 18, eighty five. Uh, Ramirez entered the home of Peter and Barbara Pan. He shot um, the. Uh, I'm so sorry, but this poor man's name is Peter Pan. And I, I know it's so. I okay, felt so really bad. Shot, he shot Peter Pan in the that temple. Exactly. <laughs> and it sounded ridiculous. I know. So he shot Peter Pan in the in the head, um, and then beat him and sexually assaulted his wife Barbara before shooting her in the head, leaving her for dead. Um, at the crime scene, Ramirez also, uh, in lipstick, wrote uh, Jack the Knife on the bedroom wall. Um, he had been doing some of these, like, uh, basically, like, the pentagram upside down type things um, on the crime scenes. Uh, and so um, they discovered that the ballistics and the shoe print, which is throughout the documentary, you hear about the shoe print a bazillion times. Dude had a big foot. Okay. <laughs> My favorite part was that they got they figured out the the brand of shoe and then the specific style and then and they got the color. then they got the shipping list from the company who like imported it from Taiwan or whatever and we're like, "Ah, only one pair in this size went to Los Angeles. So there's only one this is this is this guy's pair of shoes." I know, but like then both me and my mom were like so if they found where, what store? Yeah, where, I know. Couldn't they like, have gone to the store and been like, could you please describe the man who bought these shoes? <laughs> no, they but all have- they knew, like, even in the documentary, they say, like, we knew it was in Los Angeles, but we didn't know where. I'm like, but, like, why, though? Like, they had to ship it to someplace. <laughs> like, why, though? So I don't understand. But anyway, he had a big foot, and he had these specific sneakers that were, like, not one of a kind, but pretty whatever. And dude just kept wearing them. Um, so the shoe print and the ballistics matched um, from Los Angeles to San Francisco. The mayor 
Diane Feinstein of uh, uh, oh, Diane uh, Feinstein of San Francisco, because uh, she's the mayor at the time, um, decided to tell this kind of information at the press conference, uh, at a televised press conference, which was something that the Los Angeles police were um, holding back to, you know, uh, well, catch the they, Yeah, they had also realized that after a few of the the murders that he was following the story in the paper. Yeah. Or like through the news, because there were things that were released through the media that then at, changed at other crime scenes. He then avoided doing things or was more yeah. careful. So they were like, all right, this guy's on to us. We got to be one step ahead of him. And then Diane Feinstein was basically just like, fuck all of that. She's like, here's the shoe in this. And guess what he does? He throws the shoes over the Golden Gate Bridge that night after the uh, press conference and tries to change up his routine a little bit more. Um, on August 24th, 1985, he um, travels back uh, to Los Angeles, a little bit past Los Angeles, to Mission Viejo, um, and uh, attacks another home. Um, but... Um, Luckily, somebody actually sees the car and make and style and a partial license plate um, because uh, he attacked them, but um, they fought him off and um, they basically chased yeah. him away. Um, so then he doesn't stop. He continues. He goes to another house and um, shoots somebody else in the head and... Um, yeah, he forces this woman to swear to Satan yeah. um, or he'll kill her. It just Yeah, he does that a few times. He also yeah. does a weird thing where he kills people and then, like, makes a snack. Yes, he does like to stay there and make a snack, which then, is... Yeah, yeah, like, eat a ham sandwich. Yeah, yeah. Very, yeah, and, but that did also help the police link all of these random killings because they were like, well, he made a snack again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so uh, they found the stolen car on in Wilshire Center in Los Angeles and were able to obtain a single finger fingerprint. Um, yeah. And based on that, they uh, identified it as belonging to Richard Ramirez um, from Texas, he had a long rap sheet of uh, arrests for traffic and illegal drug violations. Like, um, yeah, yeah. And so um, they had a mugshot, finally. They have a mugshot. They have, you know, um, for um, from an arrest in 1984 where he stole a car. Um, so they finally have, like, not just, like, a drawing. They have his face. Um, and so... Um, this is when the capture happens, right? I mean, he continues to, he actually, he kills another person. Yeah. They suspect. They suspect in uh, June 27th, uh, on June 27, 1985, um, that uh, a murder in Arcadia um, is actually uh, linked to him as well. Um, but he was never charged with that one. Um so, anyway. Um, so, on August 30th, 1985, Ramirez took a bus from Tucson, Arizona to visit his brother. Um, unaware that, like, 
they're closing in on him, right? They're just like, yeah. you yeah. got a picture now, they got whatever. So, um, pop the information. Out of yeah, the exactly. <laughs> Don't, uh, <laughs> they've, got, yeah, they've got multiple sources confirming that this is like their guy. Yeah, by any means necessary. <laughs> um, exactly. <laughs> um, so he goes to he goes to Tucson to visit his brother, and he comes back on the morning of August thirty first. Very quick trip, by the way, just one day. Yeah, man, <laughs> and especially that's like a that's that's like an eight hour car ride. That's like nothing to sneeze at. Yeah, like I don't know. Anyway, um, so uh, uh, he arrives he, re- he arrives in um Los Angeles early on August thirty first for the quickest trip ever to Tucson, <laughs> Arizona. Um, and he walks past police officers uh, who were staking out the bus terminal. Um, he attempts to flee. They 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 see him. They he attempts to flee and he gets on an outbound bus. Um, and, uh, he leaves in, uh, the bus eventually and gets into a convenience store. Um, then he, he, um, is running around the neighborhood and these women are, um, start screaming El Matador, which means the killer. they they recognize him from, um, yeah, the newspaper. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So he leaves the store, the convenience store. And um, he's, like, running across, like, the Santa Ana freeway. He's attempting to carjack people. And he's being chased by bystanders. And after a few of these, like, attempted carjackings and trying to, like, jump people's fences or grab people or whatever, um, the residents just are, like, fuck this shit. They grab pipes and metal bars and they start hitting him over the head and um they beat him until the police arrive until until richard ramirez sees the police arrive and runs and to the like, police so that he won't get beat anymore exactly like, right like that's how they were an angry mob they would have been to death it was yeah. it was aggressive well, which like fair fair yeah even when they were in when he was in the car they were still like, well, <laughs> like they were trying to get to him in the car. Like they were like, they wanted to kill him. And again, I get it. <laughs> like I get it. Um, when he was on trial, it you know he was a piece of work. <laughs> yeah, man, he really played up to the. Well, they let cameras into the the trial, which probably was a bad idea because he just played right into them. Yeah, he. He had, like, groupies? Yeah, this is something that I, to this day, don't understand. Because people do it with Ted Bundy, too. Yeah. And it's just like, what? Like, you know he's crazy, right? Like, I could just murder you. And first he would rape you, and then he would murder you. That's what would happen, right? Right? Yeah, like, he even got married in jail to one of the publishers uh, or editors of 17 magazine and uh, she was subsequently fired after that but um yeah like he had groupies in there and stuff like that and like here's the thing like i i can go i mean obviously we like to to read about and watch and and there's something intriguing about true crime and I can also like go, Oh, this guy's cute, whatever, but he's, 
you know, like I can go Richard Ramirez, if he never smiled, would probably be like a chiseled model, right? Like he's cute. Yeah, yeah he was, except he had those scary dead eyes that yeah, made me want to hide. That would have been, that would have been like a heroin model. Like he could have been a heroin model, you know? But yeah. like, here's the but thing. None of that says, I want to be your groupie and sit in your trial and try to marry you. None of that does. Like, that is the line that for me is like, what? Like, I can acknowledge that a person is like, I think Dahmer was a pretty good looking guy. But no, it's also no. It's an also no. It's a no. It's a no. You know, it's a no. <laughs> not going there. Uh-uh. There's a lot of people out there in the world. Pick someone else. I don't understand. Uh, so ultimately, he is charged with 13 counts of murder, 5 counts of attempted murder, 11 counts of sexual assault, 14 counts of burglary, and it receives 19 death sentences. But he doesn't die by death penalty. Uh, he gets B-cell lymphoma um, and dies in 2013. So disappointing. Yeah. Also, if you are wondering who the teen magazine editor that uh, <laughs> that he married is, it's Doreen Lowe. Uh, she was a teen magazine editor in Burbank, California, who married uh, him and stayed married to him until the day he died of cancer. What are you? I don't. <sighs> married him in 1996. I have a lot of questions about being married to somebody in prison. Right. Me too. I mean, I've seen a lot of shows about it. Like I know that the last one that tried to marry Manson um, wanted conjugal visits and they refused to give her conjugal visits oh, for she which, like a creepy Manson baby. Right. And there's enough of those in the world. Like it's yeah. There's enough you people can do that to your kid. Probably don't know that there. That was like there's a whole movie about this actually, where a guy is like, I think I'm Charles Manson's son, and it's very strange. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. 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 Uh, it's so weird. So basically, the romantic relationship started with letters, and then she was able to visit. And she started doing this in 1985, so right when he was in jail. Wow. Right, right away. Um, she was like, yes. Um, she wrote him 75 letters during his incarceration. And in 1988, Ramirez uh, promo- uh, proposed to Loy. And on October 3rd, 1996, they were married in San Quentin State Prison. For years, uh, Doreen said that if Ramirez was executed, she would uh, commit suicide. Um, it's said that even though they didn't get divorced, eventually Doreen in 2009 severed ties from him after they confirmed the nine-year-old uh, DNA confirmation between uh, the nine-year-old that he killed and raped and um, his first victim. Uh-huh. Um, but it was confirmed in 2009 that he did that. Um, and that was the line. That's when she was like, this is too much, man. Yeah, <laughs> so I got it out. Yeah, she didn't divorce him or anything, but she was like, I'm done um, with you. I'll and stop you, talking to you. I'll stop responding to you because you're in prison. Like, what else is going to happen? Right. And so 
so I guess they were eventually probably would have gotten divorced because he got engaged again and um, to a 23-year-old female writer named Kristen Lee. Why? How come all these young women want to be married to these <laughs> murderers? Yeah. They're murderers. I have no idea. Um, murders. Yeah. So he's still pending um, his last appeals when he died of cancer. Um, yeah. Uh, it's still open. <laughs> uh, Any day now we'll find out if he got that appeal. Exactly. Um, I will say that uh, some people, like like about his mental state. Um, I, I tend to think he had some schizophrenic tendencies probably based on even the way he lived. And like, if you see pictures of his like apartment or not apartment, his hotel room and hotel Cecil, which that's a whole nother thing. Um, a documentary is coming out about that and the mysterious, um, the last mysterious death at the hotel Cecil, um, which is where Ramirez lived during the majority of these, uh, murders. Um, and it's also just a really, uh, weird hotel that is steeped in so much insane history. But, um, if you see like pictures of it, he lived in like, kind of like, um, it almost looks like, like a, like a, like a meth, like, like somebody that's like on meth or something, you know, like somebody. So I well, wouldn't. I mean, not to hate on downtown Los Angeles, but uh, yeah, yeah, that, that's like the part like that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. His hotel looked like that, and um, psychiatrist Michael H. Stone um, said that Ramirez was a made psychopath, and says that Ramirez schizo uh, he had schizoid personality disorder. Um, uh, I don't know. I do know something was up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, he did, he did a lot of drugs, so that's certainly not gonna help anything. Cause it's not like he was just like, I don't know, man, I smoke all the weed. He was like doing heroin at one point. Yeah. He was, uh, yeah, he was into the hard shit and he died at 53 years old and he had spent 23 years on death row. Um, yeah. So he spent almost half of his life on death row in prison. Yeah. That's crazy. When they sentenced him, they said he was going to die by gas chamber. And I was like, I'm sorry. What year is it? <laughs> Where am I? <laughs> yeah. I mean, listen, I, again, I'm not for the death penalty, but hmm, maybe. <laughs> oh, yeah, and then he like asked. Yeah, he asked the detectives who who like were on the case, who caught him, and everything, if they were gonna be at his uh, uh, execution. And one of them was like, "Hell yeah!" <laughs> yeah. Well, he also it seemed was like Richard Ramirez himself was a a man of uh, serial killer studies like he when they took him in they put him in the same cell as the uh hillside strangler and you they were like well you could tell he was like jazzed yeah yeah he was he was like yay my hero (laughs) i've made it and you're like okay no no thank you no it's a no from me it's a no so uh I'm going to say it's a knife down for marrying um, psychopaths in jail. 
Knife down for marrying yeah. anyone on death row, really? Yeah, or a knife down for marrying any psychopath. I, I said yeah, in, yeah. in they jail. They don't have to be in jail. They just don't marry a psychopath. Just don't marry a psychopath um, or a serial killer or an, a serial abuser. Any of these things. No one should marry Elon Musk anyway. Um, <laughs> that's also true. Um, <laughs> uh, He's a different uh, kind of sociopath. <laughs> knife down for pretty much every single thing Richard Ramirez did. Yeah, knife down for all of the things that Richard Ramirez did. Also knife down for that sparkly ACDC hat that he wore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, uh, knife up for very comprehensive uh, shoe tracking <laughs> catalogs. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to say knife on the table for members only jackets because yeah, table. I was like, I'm just so confused because like he wore one, but then I'm also com- like, oh, they're yeah. kind of cute. And, exactly. Yeah. No. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, up for the detectives who worked this case. Yes. Um, up for the interconnectedness of all the police departments. This is one of the first documentaries where it was like, oh, they all talked to each other and shared information. And eventually means they caught him. Good job. Knife up for I was gonna say vigilante justice, but I don't want to say that. Um, but I did. Oops. Um, like knife week, I was not becoming Batman, so it's it's okay. It makes sense. Oh, okay. Oh, perfect. It, it's on brand. Um, exactly. knife up for the neighborhood catching his ass. Yeah, knife up for all the neighbors beating him until the police showed up. Again, I should probably not say that, but I said it, and I stand by it. Knife <laughs> up for newspapers being useful uh, at being news instead of just being useful for arts and crafts. Yes, 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 yes. The only uh, reason I've had newspaper in the last six months is for arts and crafts. There you go. Um, and knife on the table for uh, multigrain um, Cheerios, the cereal that we paired with Ramirez and by we, I mean me, um, cause <laughs> I will not throw Maria under that bus <laughs> with me. Um, yeah. Uh, you can find us and follow us on, at pod serial killer on all social media. You can also subscribe and give us a rating. It really helps us out. We would love to also hear from you. You can tweet at us, Instagram us, whatever, um, also, you can email us, podserialkiller at gmail.com. You can um, go to our Patreon page, which is Pod Serial Killer, just like everything else. If you would like to donate, we have some cool stuff coming yeah. up that we want to put on our Patreon page. So patronize us. Hmm? Sure. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, we're also on anchor.fm. There's a place to donate if you so wish as well there, which, again, we would have internal uh, gratitude for. Maybe not internal, but we would be grateful <laughs> for a little while. <laughs> and, uh, um yeah, I, I think that's all the social. Uh, you can find me at Anastasia W on Twitter, at Anastasia Wash on Instagram, Anastasia TV on YouTube. Uh, that's it, I think. And Maria, where can they find you? You can find me at Maria Longname on the Twitter. Yes, 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 yes. And you guys, like, stay safe. And don't be a dick.